recorded live in two states that once headquartered the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's Transformation Thursday. My name is Serena Jameson, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, Serena. Yeah, Amy? Uh, isn't the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints more commonly known as the Mormon Church? As a member, I can't say that word. Which word is that? The M word. I've heard of the R word and of course the F word, and I know you can't say that one, but what in the heck is the M word? I can't say Mormon anymore. Why not? Uh, because the prophet said, so the thinking has been done. Okay. It's obvious we have a lot to discuss regarding the Mormon church and what you experienced at another church that welcomes LGBTQIA plus folks like us into their pews. But before we do that, we'll be back with more Transformation Thursday right after this. This is Jamie Rodriguez, the General Counsel of the Transformation Thursday Podcast Network, here to remind you that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material. All rights reserved 2021. You can support Transformation Thursday by leaving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a short review on Apple Podcasts. It's free and helps get Transformation Thursday out to a larger audience. On Twitter and Instagram, follow us at TransThursPod. On Facebook, you can follow the podcast by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. My name is Serena Jamison, and my pronouns are she, her. And I am Amy Stevens still, and my pronouns are she, her. Serena, thank you for being my co-host and guest this week and for allowing me to poke a bit of fun at Mormon beliefs in our introduction. If my memory serves me right, I think you are the first active LDS trans woman who has, well, let's just say the guts enough to come on the podcast. Well, thank you very kindly for inviting me. Yeah, we uh, spoke back in December of last year, and uh, we ended up posting that interview here on Transformation Thursday. Um, it was your interview of me for yourmedium.com. Um, what do we call that? Site? Uh, collection of writings, I suppose. Collection of writings. So um, you did a fantastic job with that, and the interview went well, and it actually got a good amount of listens when I published it. So awesome. If you have, if you're in the audience listening, wondering what we're talking about, go back to December um, or early January. I can't remember exactly when I posted, but um, Serena and I chatted back in um, December, and it was you interviewing me? So we're kind of flipping the tables on each other tonight, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, you sent me a note before we started, just about an hour ago. It sounds like you liked episode 94 with um, Reverend Meredith Cox. Absolutely. Um, especially listening to um, some of their um, thoughts and, and impressions. Spiritual queer, I mean, that, that really struck a chord. It's like, wow, that obviously they're more of a, a leadership position within their church. Whereas me, I'm, I'm more of a consumer, if that makes sense. I'm sitting in the pews, whereas they're kind of standing up in front of a congregation and, and um, Meredith is providing um, their message to people who are willing to listen. And thankfully, they've found some people who are willing to listen. Whereas me, I, I don't really get to control that. And so as a result, I've, I've been in, in LDS spaces now for 20 years. Um, I, I was a convert at 19. 
And now, especially now, being in a church that, that has more than a few mixed messages as far as trying to engage their LGBTQ parishioners, I'm also trying to go to other churches and find out what kind of messages they're offering to. Yeah. And one of the things in that, you know, episode was the spiritual queer, you know, Meredith discussed, you know, religious rights for trans and um, gender diverse folks. Could you put any feeling or imagination around what it would feel like if we had that space within, you know, because the LDS church is my former, former spiritual home, but what would that feel like to be able to enjoy religious rights within that religious context? Listening to their um, description of rights for just LGBTQIA plus folks, um, it's not as if the LDS church itself or even other churches to some extent, but definitely the LDS church, they do um, baptisms for adults. They, they, they pride themselves on baptism, baptizing adults. And so I could absolutely see a, a space where you could have such rights. Um, um, Mormon Church also does blessings for infants. Now, granted, infants obviously isn't quite as as profound as adults, but then, I mean, there, there's many things that churches do that are geared towards adults that would definitely give adults a sense of belonging that would hopefully um, confer some spirituality on this process. Yeah. And I think that's what Meredith is alluding to. And they, they made some great points. And I do, I do just want to clarify real quick. I, I, Meredith is in the process of writing these rights. There's a lot of alliteration going on there and message me a few days after that. And, you know, I think they have some great ideas for this. And, you know, if they ever came back to me and said, Hey, I have this little ceremony thinking, you know, like end of transition, you know, whatever that means to each of us individually, it's like, I might book that plane ticket ticket to Nashville and, you know, go down there and, you know, go to their church. So I, you know, those, but those are important things because, you know, I don't know about for you, but I know for me, the spiritual side of church, the community of church, you know, I love liturgy. I love, that's one thing I actually missed in the Mormon church because the Mormon church is not big on that. But, you know, when I have attended churches or synagogues since I've left the Mormon church, you know, that liturgy, that, that, that speaks to me for some reason. And I don't know if that's because I was in a fraternity when I was in college or whatever, or the way I grew up, but it just, it just speaks to me. So I'm just saying it's a long-winded way of saying, Hey, I would get on a plane and go down there for something like that. I just want to make a point too, very quickly that pilgrimage pilgrimages are totally a thing than religion. And so I would, I would be on board with the pilgrimage too. So oh, maybe, maybe we can meet in person and finally in Nashville then and we both can have our rights um, partaken of at the same time there. But you mentioned something a little bit ago too, you know, you, you're, you're in the pews at the Mormon church as a, as a consumer and you mm -hmm. went to another church as a, Meredith is up there when they are preaching and from a professional pastor, they're the ones controlling that message for that congregation. That's not the way it works in the Mormon church. I mean, how does this work for the Mormon church? How are sermons and messages being distributed? So in the Mormon church, the um, leadership um, is uh, comprised of typically three men, uh, a bishop, which is a minister or pastor equivalent. I'm going to say not typically. 
Yes, you're right. Well, okay, continue on. There is such a thing as a branch president. Thank you kindly. Yeah, but there's a but they're always men. Yes, they are men. So um, so yes, you have branch president slash bishop, who is your minister, pastor, and then he has two helpers who are also men, and they come back and say, Well, we feel like X person needs to talk or Y person needs to talk. And then they're also going to give you a specific um, topic to talk about. And that's all there is to it. So um, that means though that the individual parishioners are up to doing their own research and their own preparation. Sometimes it's a lot of preparation and sometimes it's not a lot of preparation. Yeah. And you get a lot of variation in not only the quality of the messaging, but also the doctrine. It or, becomes, the, or the what of it? But mm-hmm. what was it? I'm sorry, you cut out now my sensitivity. I, I apologize. The sensitive, especially in this context. Well, in sensitivity, you know, in LGBTQ stuff, did you hear any talks over Pride Month? I um regarding Pride or any hat tip or acknowledgement to it? You're funny. No. <laughs> well, before I came out, you know, well, when I started coming out five years ago, I was the elders quorum president in our ward. Oh, yeah. And, yay. Yeah, whatever <laughs> that means. So I actually did a lesson during Pride Month in elders quorum that I taught that basically said that, you know, 10% of, you know, millennials and Gen Y or Gen Z today are LGBTQ. And I looked everyone in the eye in that room who, because it was elders quorum, were all men. And I said, there's going to be one or two of you in this room that are going to have some sort of LGBTQ kid. What are you going to do with that kid when they come out? Are you going to kick them out? Are you going to love them? What are you going to do? And I actually pulled from the Mormons and gay website, you know, some coming out stories that actually, you know, really drove home that point. And it, and it was, you know what? And actually... I don't want to out anybody. Uh, you know what? He's been on the podcast. So I, I yeah. Spencer Shiley, um, who way back two years ago came on the podcast, has an LGBTQ kid. Then I'm just going to leave it at that. And so it's, and it happens on a regular basis. So, but when you get this varied messaging, what was your experience with that with 20 years in the church as I ramble on and on and on? Well, you, you you forgot to give them the warning that some elders quorum presidents might also be LGBTQ. Wasn't quite ready for that yet, but yeah. Um, well, some it wasn't you. <laughs> but um, as far as being in the church for twenty years, no, I mean, really, there was almost zero messaging when it came to those topics, and for better or for worse, I, I realize that churches are not supposed to necessarily be political. I know the um, LDS church has been political in the past itself. And there are spaces that people felt it was safe enough, even in elders quorum, to bring politics into the church. And so uh, I'm not saying LGBTQ plus is politics, but I am saying that um, when various people brought politics into church many times over, it was um, hostile towards LGBTQ folks. And so as a result, no, no. Uh, the, the the Mormon church was not a place to discuss these issues, nor was it even a place that anybody brought them up in the many, many wards I lived in. I, I've, I've been through at least about 12 wards at this point. Yeah, I, I went through a lot of wards, especially before I moved to 
before I moved here to New York, you know, living in Arizona, you know, in a growing Mormon population area, you know, we were divided a number of times, moved a number of times, and da, 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 da. I'm thinking is I need to form a question and I can edit this out. That's okay. I can pick up the, the, the slack to some extent because yeah. um, I, I well, almost feel like the West is, is, is still culturally more um, conservative than the East as yeah. far as West of Mississippi, East of Mississippi. Especially I've always in been in the Midwest. Yep. yep. And, and in the Midwest, at, at the very least, the culture is more, if you show up, then we're going to give you space. And in some ways that will segue into um, at least my personal experience being LGBTQ within the LDS church. Um, moving into my current house, I moved here about six weeks ago. And even though they knew that it was two women that were moving into this house, myself and my partner, um, they, I still had volunteers at both my previous work who I, I don't necessarily know whether or not they were happy to have gotten rid of us. Um, I don't, I don't feel so though. Um, we still have a very, very, very good relationship with the former Bishop, the one who, um, contacted me because he received certain intelligence that I was possibly LGBTQ plus and prior to me really possibly yes prior to me actively being ready to do so however um he and his he and his spouse are absolutely good friends at this point so um at at our first house it was about 15 volunteers to help us load a truck at the new house it was six volunteers along with um six male volunteers and then another four female volunteers and I, I, I draw that distinction for no other reason than the male ones move the furniture and the female ones help me with the kitchen. It's the LDS church. Well, it's so, the, Mor the Mormon moving company. You get what you pay for, folks. Yes. <laughs> but, but they were willing to come and help me. And so at the very least, there is a community there. Yeah. And, and, you, save, and you save on beer, you only had to get pizza. Exactly. <laughs> there were a few times that I would, I would sit there and I would pick up a corner of furniture. And then they would look at me and be like, what are you doing? let us get that. It's like, okay, <laughs> all yours. So, so yes, um, there is definitely still a, and, and I love these folks to be perfectly honest. The community here at the LDS church that I'm currently at is, is surprisingly very welcome. I have not fielded one single question yet from any of the parishioners, as far as my relationship with my spouse, um, my own gender status, for instance, I, the, um, four weeks ago, they said, well, it's, it's time for Relief Society. Why don't you come in with us? And it's like, okay, where is it? Oh, well, help guide you there. What's and Relief Society? Relief Straight Society up. is in the LDS church. You have um, first the sacrament session, which lasts for an hour. And that's where you do the, the typical hymn singing and the message giving. And then you have another session after it alternates between either Sunday school or um, splitting up because somebody had already mentioned elders quorum and didn't go into detail. <laughs> yep. Elders quorum is um, for better or worse, the men's group of, and, um, and the men's group of the church is for the women. And so I unquestionably, they're like, you're a woman and it's time for release society. So come on in. Can and I ask a question? How does your partner feel about that? That is, she is willing to, or willing to, she has her own challenges. However, um, she has been able to accept the idea that I'm going into Relief Society. 
and and I know it was it was a process for her, but but she's but yeah she um I always made it very clear to her that the only way I would step foot in Relief Society is under two conditions. Number one, that she would be um, accepting of that possibility. And then number two, that the rest of the Relief Society was accepting of that possibility. Um, very briefly, and, and to the same bishop that I spoke with, um, I said to them, I'm not a crowbar. I am not somebody who's going to kick down every door and demand my rights and, and, and disrupt because that's not my job. That's not what somebody who would theoretically believe in a church is necessarily supposed to do in my own mind. I realize that some other people would, would disagree with this. But my thought was, I, if, if I sit there and force things, then at that point, if I get even reluctant um, agreeance, it's still reluctant agreeance. It's not worth my time and it's not worth their time. And so, um, yeah, it took me a, a bit, I suppose. It took me effectively a move because um, quarantine happened after I came out. And so I was never really invited to Relief Society. But then on the other hand, they knew the person I used to be for seven years. And so they had a switch to flip. Whereas the people that, that are here now, if uh, in some ways, I mean. They're going to figure at, it out. At some point, sure. Yeah. But they, they get to learn Serena before they... They get to learn about Serena the human. And then at some point, if they're willing to, um, to honor my vulnerability, then they're going to learn about Serena the trans woman. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I, re- you know, and I respect that. I mean, we all have our own paths to walk, especially within a religious institution such mm-hmm. as the LDS church. Yep. You know, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier, bringing politics into it. And this is going to kind of play into it. But a lot of that politics comes from the proclamation on the family, which I'm sure you're well aware of, which says, hey, marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, the church, you know, specifically Dallin H. Oaks, who's second in command now of the church, wrote this back in the early 90s. It came out in the mid 90s. And it was really a reaction and an amicus brief. But that was a briefing in support of quote unquote, marriage between a man and a woman, traditional marriage, as I use my big air quotes here on Zoom. And that gives cover to the bigots and that varied messaging that we hear inside of the church. Would you agree or disagree with that? First off, um, leadership of the church should not be showing off their briefs. I'm sorry. <laughs> but second- briefs or not, it doesn't matter, right? Exactly. Um, However, yes, I, um, now for better or for worse, and, and granted, I've only been in two wards. It's not as if I've gone in too many other places and whether or not I'm accepted as a female everywhere else. However, at the very least, I've not had the proclamation kind of cast into my face yet, which is good. But then, yes, I, I feel like having something like this is ammunition for other people who are non-binary or who are children that, that are trying to transition or people who ha- have challenges when it, coming, when, it, when it comes to transition because not everybody can transition at, at the paces that, that, that comfort the people around them. And, and especially with church being a conservative place, yeah, you can have these Amicus briefs, effectively, you can have amicus, these. amicus, 
amicus briefs. Um, you can you can have these 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 pieces of ammunition lying around, as far as I'm concerned, because that's what they are, yeah. and so they're designed to blow up in people's faces who are um, more marginalized. Well, I don't see it really as somebody's going to run up to you and say the proclamation on the family that could happen maybe in Sunday school or a relief society or elders quorum lesson. I think that's where that would happen the most, but I think in your day-to-day stuff, I think it still allows, you know, for that more passive attitude stuff to continue on. Like, you know, I, we had somebody in our, in our ward here who, you know, was in their late sixties and, you know, was convinced that LGBTQ people are perverts and pedophiles. You know, it's like, no, you need to be more worried about, you know, your cisgender males than you do, you know, LGBTQ folks. So there's just still that old school mentality that's been that allow that things like the proclamation allow to continue to fester. So that's been my experience. And it sounds like you haven't seen or had that locally in your wards where you live in the Midwest. So, I mean, you're fortunate, but, you know, unfortunately I did have that here, even in upstate New York. Yeah. No, to some extent, my challenge is not necessarily the people, which is good, but yeah. it's, it's definitely leadership. Okay. Um, the leadership of the church is, is not, is well, I not. A, I got some, a question there. Sorry. Yeah. And I usually don't cut you off, but I, but you gave me this very detailed outline and I want to make sure we follow it pretty well. Okay. <laughs> of course. Okay. <laughs> So let's so let's talk about the leadership. But let's let's first start about that from being trans and gender diverse in the LDS church is a tough thing. We both know that. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the policies. Let's start at that level. What are some of these policies regarding being trans or gender diverse in the church? There's so many to list. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> the, for instance, though, is the fact that both of us carry um, probably still do. We both carry a priesthood. That at this point that we cannot um, <laughs> that we cannot actively use, and honestly, I that was the funniest thing was I'd even said to my partner, it was something that I wasn't even comfortable with even before I transitioned, much less after. Um, but in some ways, the the Mormon Church is is in a place where they're going to push and push and push and push you along their along their um, preferred paths, and that was one of them. I had a question, you know, regarding hormones more and your dress appearance in church. Mm-hmm. Oh, my dress. Well, no, but you're, but I mean, if I remember right, a year or two ago, the church came out with new policy saying basically it's okay to be on hormones. It's okay to do this stuff. But if you come to church, please dress as the gender you were assigned at birth. Yes. Uh- if, if there's any stepping out of line of, of that gender presentation, at that point, you are pretty much, you're welcomed. But after that, you can't really participate in any of the, the greater rights. It's funny because um, your viewers can't see this, but I, I wore a dress to church today that literally shows my shoulders. Mm. And yes, that, make, that makes a big difference in, in, in the LDS sphere. Because um, most people, especially most people my age, have what are called temple recommends. In essence, um, you have to be worthy enough through a bishop interview. And the bishop will say, then you can go to the temple. The temple is a very big, important place in Mormon theology where they do the baptisms for, for dead people. They seal people, so on and so forth. And I cannot get a temple recommend anymore, especially not as Serena. 
And so as a result, I don't have temple garments. Garments are the things that, that women wear and men wear, and they cover your shoulders, they cover down your thighs. And right now I'm wearing a dress that, that shows my shoulders. And I'm probably, I'm, very few people would do that in this church because they would want to make sure that their garments are not shown. Scandalous to show up in church with a bare shoulder. I also have two sets of earrings each year. Oh, oh my Eek. goodness. Yes. Eek. Well, so that's something you can't do now as a transgender person, but who's presenting in their authentic. But if you decided to get the hair trimmed up, take the earrings out and present male, even if you're still on hormones and, you know, six days a week, you did everything else as Serena, but you went to churches, Serena presenting male on Sundays would you be able to exercise more of those quote unquote priesthood privileges within the church? You know, that's I, with all the thought exercises, I, I mean, perhaps, I guess the thing is though, at that point, what's the point? Because I don't care. Yeah. And so that's, I, if I'm sitting there and being authentic to myself other than three hours a week, and it, it matters to me so much that these three hours a week that I'm not, then either I'd, expand those three hours to be the rest of the week or at that point it'd be like what's the point of being here these three hours down, now down to two as a matter of fact I so mean, you gotta dress get ready travel back and forth you can go with three yeah <laughs> but, so. and and for some people who are who are gender fluid hey that's their choice and and maybe in some ways it, that that policy would certainly help them as no. long as they can control when they want to be gender fluid of course yeah, no, I, I get that. That makes sense. So you can't go to the temple. I'm assuming you don't hold a calling. You have no formal responsibility in church now. Yes, exactly. They, um, I've, I've heard other trans folks say that, that, again, no callings or not even being able to speak in front of, um, like, um, for instance, when they offer people um, these, these talks or even offer people to say prayer in the, in the beginning or end of a service that they don't let these people do it. And so um, it's a soft shunning is what it is. Yep, it is. Totally. It's, is that, is that, does that hurt your mental health at all? No, not really, because I'm, I almost joke to myself that I get to be a missionary to the Mormons and that I am a trans person who is showing up and being her true authentic self wearing my sleeveless dress and at least still enjoying life. Even if I hear messages from the pulpit about how great going to the temple is going to the temple is not worth, again, it's not worth my two hours a week of, of attempting to be somebody I'm not. And I, I go there because I, 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 I do receive a, a, a social dividend from it. Like I said, um, there's people there that that accept me as Serena, and that's that's really important, especially in this day and age when we're post-COVID. To some extent, I mean, there's still places that are dealing with it, but to have that socialization to say yes, you're Serena, is a big deal. And then again, to be there as someone who is LGBTQ plus, and hopefully showing the other people there, whether younger or 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 old, that. I am also a child of God. I deserve respect. I deserve the ability to make myself into what I am. You are actively making yourself who you know you are. And I wish that more 
religious people of any faith that are anti-LGBTQ could see, at least my case, and I think it's true with yours, the pleading we've done to come to terms with who we are. And if you and you don't have to answer this, this is up to you, but you know, have you have you had that, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth and that, you know, dark night of the soul regarding your gender identity? I've had many gnashings of teeth and dark nights of souls regarding my gender identity. I mean, that, that still happens. Um, it's funny, I um, very, very briefly, I, I ran across a video regarding tran- transition fatigue. And I under I underscore that too. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult just accepting all of this, especially later in life. And then with this profound shift and trying to change so many things and then hopefully holding other people's hands as they process the shift too, even though it's like, where's, where's the hand I get to hold? Oh, if I could do it, I would hold it for you, but Aww. I'm not there, but I would assume your partner's providing some of that for you. She's doing an amazing job. Yeah. So it sounds like for me, it's like the, even though the let's just say the institution of the church is, has a lot of lot of work to do, but it sounds like you're still finding a community of peace there, though, right? Yes, I'm. I'm finding community of peace of of people who want to engage me. What does that mean to you? We humans are a very social species, and having a group of people on a weekly basis where I know I can just walk in and they're just going to say hello, Serena. It means a lot to me, especially being able to see them face to face and being able to hear them and obviously not necessarily hug because that would be still probably a few months slash years in the future. But yeah, it means a lot to me that, that I have a group of people that are willing to accept me. No, and that is important in the community. We, we are social creatures and we, we want to be there. But at the same time, the institution of the church still I feel doesn't want us there. So how do you reconcile between the institution and the community? And how do you make that work? Because I couldn't do it. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, I might still have the priesthood. I don't. I I resigned from the church two years ago um, before I actually got my official name changed. So that was very important for me to do. And so I wasn't able to make that reconciliation. So I'm just interested in how you do that. I mean, it's, it's not the easiest thing because yeah, when, when you're sitting in a pew and again, listening to um, messages that, that, you know, full well, you cannot partake in, you realize though, to some extent that it's not necessarily the people giving the messages that the messages generate from those people specifically. It's, it's generating from leadership. It's, Leadership is 100% responsible for saying, no, you can't go to the temple or no, you cannot hold a priesthood or no, you cannot hold a calling. No, you cannot perform service in in the way that you want to perform it. I don't feel like any of these uh, folks in my local units have that same challenge. Granted, um, I will absolutely endorse the idea of moving (laughs) And I realize that that's not an option that's available to, to um, 100% of trans folks. But it, it certainly helped to some extent, too, because I did a lot of work. And then I moved. And then it's, it's, uh, there's still some, some, some work that has to be done for a fully formed Serena to be there. 
but Serena's there enough that Serena's accepted as Serena. Serena, I want to play this quote for you from Dallin H. Oaks, who is the first counselor in the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As I said earlier, he's the second in command of the church um, behind Russell M. Nelson, who's currently the president of the church and who Mormons view as a prophet, seer, and revelator, as well as they do for uh, Dallin Oaks here. So I want to play this quote for you. Um, give me your feelings when this quote stops playing. Um, try not to think about it too much. We're just looking for some quick association here. But scientific truth is not the whole of life. Those who do not learn by study and also by faith limit their understanding of truth to what they can verify by scientific means. That puts artificial limits on their pursuit of truth. Gender is eternal. Before we were born on this earth, we all lived as male and female spirits in the presence of God. Finally, we are beloved children of a heavenly Father who has taught us that maleness and femaleness, marriage between a man and a woman, and the bearing and nurturing of children. What do you think? Yeah, that's... And I kind of shake my head because... It's challenging. It's challenging when you have leadership that effectively negates the whole idea of the fact that there is a, a God above who put me on this earth and who put you on this earth and who put so many other diverse people on this earth. And then to have somebody come back who is a leader and who theoretically hears signals from a God who loves us who then turns around and says, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to invalidate so many people here because whatever. And the thing is, at this point, my, my, my biggest gut feeling is, yeah, humans are fallible. And who's to say he isn't at this point? And as far as I'm concerned, he is, especially on this, this topic. Yeah, and this is one where I actually was watching this talk live in 2018, and we were watching it at our ward building on a, if I remember right, it was a Saturday session. I'd have to go back and look. And I walked out. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I walked out, just broke down crying. This was 2018. So this is a few months after I started HRT. This is 16 plus or like 18 plus months of starting to come out. I knew at that point that this wasn't and to hear somebody like that in the, in the church at that leadership level say that, to me, it was a big F you. And so that was really, I think, the beginning of my end in the church. At some point, at some level, I was thinking I might be able to make it within the church. But by February of 2019, my resignation letter went into the church. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's totally understandable how um, leadership can literally drive people away when, when they're um saying such messages and and getting in the way of you being in a community it's not worth it if 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 if, if someone is is going to a church to find community peace and spirituality and the leadership is preventing them from receiving all three of those things then they don't belong in that church as far as i'm concerned well and you talk about community and so you know let's bring that back to your medium piece now you know, we've we've talked about the LDS Church for a long time here tonight, and I think this is a good background. But, you know, you celebrated pride by specifically going to another church. What was that experience like for you? 
Um, so I went to a, a United Church of Christ. And as a matter of fact, I have attended that church now um, either three or four times in the last seven weeks. And it's, um, it was really funny because the very first time that I went there, I left after hearing the sermon. I saw the pastor there who was effectively saying goodbye to the parishioners. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, are you Rita? And I'm like, no, no, no. How, how would you even guess my name? I'm Serena. And she's like, oh, well, I had somebody contact me that they were going to, to visit this week. And her name was Rita. And it's like, well, good. So we're on the same page. You're, 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 you're seeing me as, as I should be. Um, but I, I said to her that the signs out in front and then the altar, I, I, I placed a picture of the altar in my medium piece. The signs were all amazingly welcoming. And my thought was, I want to go to a church that I don't have to feel like I have to um, hide myself first to some extent to get some kind of spirituality, I guess. And so in, in, in a very, um, in a low tone still, I, I'm, 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 I'm still somewhat reticent, but I, I looked at her and I said, I'm happy to be in a place that it feels like I'm being validated. I mean, there's times that I, I almost want to emphasize my identity. And I wanted to emphasize my identity with this pastor because there aren't too many churches who will go out on a limb, especially with the ages of the parishioners in that church. Um, I was probably one of the youngest people attending that church. Oh, I believe that from UCC. Yep. And to have the banners out front to, to say pride, it, it, they still, much to their credit, they have not taken them down ever since the, um, June 30th. They are still up. And the, the, it's on a, a major road here in Illinois. People see that, that church. And if I didn't see that church, I wouldn't go in there either. And if I didn't see those banners, I wouldn't have been in there. And so um, having a professional pastor offer a sermon is so much difference. It's, it, it's, um, it feels like the message is crafted in a way to be more sensitive. It feels like, um, especially to have them really, uh, it's not like LDS people don't study scripture per se, but two things. Number one, LDS people study Book of Mormon scripture for the most part. Or Doctrine and Covenants or yes, all prophets. Associated works. But I'm, I'm hearing sermons from the New Testament and it's like, well, this, may, this is good. I, I feel like I have some affinity to that too. But also, like I, just the sensitivity, just the the care, and and yeah, I'm 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 very I feel better at listening to those messages from the pulpits than I do at the LDS Church. Well, how does Serena define her spirituality inside the LDS Church and now outside of it? My spirituality inside the church is um, it's a tricky subject to some extent. Um, I am still in a place now mormons make a big deal out of building a testimony um what that effectively means is whether or not you believe in heavenly father like believe in god for instance and your testimony is well here's my story put my finger on it this is kind of my my to lack a better term my origin story my comic book story this is why i believe in god it's been challenging to have that keep it cultivate it especially in the context of being lgbtq plus in lds and in some ways, I keep going there, if for no other reason than to try to figure out how to find it. 
and then to hopefully show other people that yes, it's it's possible to be LGBTQ and Mormon. And if you need to not be Mormon but still LGBTQ, you have a person that that knows at least somewhat of your journey. Outside, um, I mean, Mormons also make a big deal out of quote unquote feeling the spirit. Um, in essence, um, if you feel like you've been moved by some kind of spirituality. I will say that the UCC church lately, I feel like I've felt more spiritual within that church than I have the elders church. So it's two churches that give me two different things at this point. Gotcha. Now, do you see yourself continuing to attend the UCC church or moving away from the LDS church? Or do you see yourself straddling both? I'm probably going to be in a space of straddling both, especially when it comes to the idea that both places give me something different currently. Um, the UCC church is not as, I don't want to call it socially grasping, but in some ways it is because the LDS church, they're all about missionary work. And so if they see somebody new, they're going to go to them immediately. And then they are going to introduce themselves and they're going to do the best they can to make, to to bring you into the community. This UCC church again is mostly older folks and many of them keep to themselves which is fine. I mean, that's how they are. And so if, if you go there, though, expecting community and you're not an extrovert, you're going to have a challenge. Yep. Gotcha. So both, both spaces are providing something for you. And, you know, I don't want to get too into this because we are, you know, starting to, we need to conclude here pretty shortly. But, you know, for your family life, I imagine it's important to stay active in the LDS church at some level, at -hmm. least participate and provide that um, space for your family and you as well, but then also to have a, a spiritual home that is affirming is a nice thing for Serena to be able to enjoy every once in a while. Is that what I'm taking away from that? Yep. It's especially since I don't go to the UCC church on a weekly basis, but so far I've still been going to the LDS church. Well, that's fantastic, Serena. Thanks for providing us some background on, you know, LDS stuff, because, you know, we really haven't done a deep dive on many of these topics here on the on the podcast in the last two years, we've kind of lightly touched on them in a few episodes here and there, but this is the first time we've actually, you know, dived deep into some of these policies and procedures, things with the church. So, but as I warned you about though, as my co-host and guest this week, your, your, mm-hmm. your guesting responsibilities have come to a conclusion. Your, your co-host responsibilities have engaged here again. And so What are your two questions for me tonight before we wrap up? So um, my first question for you is uh, related to this topic. Where's been your greatest source of peace through the last 12 months? That's a great question. And one that as I sit here and think about it, I can't really put a finger on it. Are we talking spirituality or what, what, what are you, where are you, where are you looking for that? You define peace however you want to define it. I'm going to edit out that big sigh. <laughs> oh, God. I would leave it in. Yeah, you're probably right. I should leave it in. You know, if I think, if I take a second or two and think about that, where I am finding a lot of peace right now is inside of me. When I reflect back on my strength over the past 12 months, when I reflect back on what I've accomplished in the last 12 months, and what I continue to work through now, because, you know, we've all gone through this pandemic, 
I ended up starting graduate school exactly a year ago. I'm 30, 33 credits in. I'll be 36 credits in in a, in a few weeks. I've had two major surgeries. I, you know, we've talked about those ad nauseum here on the podcast. I've been through significant relationship changes as far as, you know, my relationships with my family, with, you know, you know, with the woman I'm dating. And so, you know, there's just a continually, there's a huge amount of stuff on my plate. Uh, you know, relationships that I thought would last forever in the friendship have um, fallen to the wayside. I've had new friendships come about. So it's just, I can handle a lot. And when I sit back and I look back and I reflect on that, I can look forward with a lot of hope. And I have a lot of hope for the future. I want to finish next year. I'm going to finish school at about this time, um, next August. I definitely have plans for my career and what I envision my future looking like. So yeah, that's, you know, I'm very hopeful for what Amy's future entails. Awesome. I'm glad you're finding peace. It sounds like you, you need some. I never give myself enough time to feel it. But, you know, as we talked about today before we started, I did make sure this afternoon in between work and starting my recordings tonight, recordings plural, that, you know, I did get some downtime. I sat outside, I read, I enjoyed the sunshine. I, you know, ate with the family outside and, you know, I did get a few hours of quiet time this afternoon just to recharge. So yeah, that time's important. So question number two. Question number two. Um, especially since somebody has something big coming up soon. Um, I wanted to ask about your creative process for comedy and whether or not it's changed since transitioning. I never did comedy before transition. Comedy is a new thing that I started um, since I started HRT. But my creative process, it started out early on with me coming up with my own material and my own things. However, I recently have written some new jokes into my set. I probably a whole new five minutes worth of material. And I got a lot of support from some friends, uh, two in particular that I can think of off the top of my head, but I haven't spoken with them about this, so I don't feel at liberty to to discuss who those persons are, but they know who they are and hopefully they listen to the podcast. And so, but I'm finding that those experiences that we have in common with other trans women are that we can make funny and educate are worthwhile, but then also finding out that a lot of the experiences that we have as women who happen to be transgender are just a lot of experiences of being women. And, you know, and being able to sit down, you know, with a cisgender woman and run through, you know, new material like, hey, um, sometimes my pee comes out to the left now, sometimes it comes out to the right, you know, I just, you know, just being able to, you know, have these conversations with other women and be able to take that and make that into material for my comedy has just been gold. And so I'm hoping to do more writing and comedy around, you know, not only the trans experience, but the female experience. But since we have our perspectives as, you know, middle-aged trans women who transition later in life, that viewpoint from both sides provides us a, a comedic lens that not many get to take advantage of. So I'm, I really hope that as I move forward that I can, you know, have some writing workshops where I can, you know, take from other trans women and, you know, and 
other cisgender women and take those experiences and make it into some comedy gold. Yes. Comedy gold. Whether or not the P comes out from the right or the left. Oh, comedy days, gold. Some days you just don't know. And then some days it's like you, you wake up during the middle of the night and you're like, you just sit there for a minute or two before it decides to like, just trickle out. <laughs> And, you know, like I said, I, I said to a friend of mine recently, I said, you know, it's like, you know, pre-transition, you know, I had, you know, I had the hose and it was like a jet stream. I could just point it and it would go someplace. Right now. It's just kind of like, you know, one of those misters you put out in the garden. It just goes everywhere. I just, you know, I don't know. And to bring this to a more cerebral level, um, do you find that that perspective is really helping you as far under that perspective of of, of knowing both sides is, is really helping you to kind of identify situations that do have some sort of comedy potential. Yeah, they do. And what I'm finding with in my conversations with other women about these is that I don't have all the experience and I don't have all the viewpoints because each of us walk our own path. So being able to take from one friend over here, another friend over there and be able to incorporate that into my comedy has been very helpful in the last few weeks. So I'm ho really hoping to do more of that. Awesome. It sounds like you're going to have an amazing set when, when, uh, when you have your show. Well, what do you think? It's probably a good place to say goodnight. What do you think, Serena? I think so too. Thank you so kindly for having me on. All right. Well, you get to say goodnight last. So, but for Serena Jamison, I am Amy Stevens. Good night, everyone. And for Amy, I'm Serena. Have a great night. Good night.